Well, good morning. Welcome to Community Church. If you're worshiping with us online, we're so glad you could join us and be with us today. You know, if you're a believer, you're on your way towards something. God is developing you. He planted a seed in you, and the seed has the very nature of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ himself. There is overcoming power in the nature of Jesus. Amen? You know, uh, the, the, on the earth realm, the military is always talking about the super soldier. Movies have been made about the super soldier and the pursuit of training, the you know, ways of means, and they've done ungodly things to try and create men who can go to war and who can do things that are almost inhuman. But that conformity, that, that training parallels something that God is doing. God is creating super soldiers for the kingdom of light. And the Bible says one day there's going to be a full manifestation of that breed of believer that is so like Jesus. Creation will recognize them. They are the sons of God that are manifested. And it will mark a threshold that we have crossed in time, that we have crossed in process, that we have crossed in destiny to see the conquest of the enemies of Christ and them made his footstool. So as we worship him, we're not just enjoying the music. We're not just uh, having an entertainment moment, but we're saying, God, change me. We're in 21 days of fasting and praying, and we're saying, God, I don't want to just tweak my behavior. I don't want to just change one attitude. I don't want to just improve in this particular area of my life, I want a fundamental change at my core. If I were a computer, if I were a computer, I'm not adding a, a program. I'm not upgrading the system. I'm changing systems. Father, change our systems. Go to the root, Lord, Holy Spirit, and shift our desires. Invisibly, Lord, let the mysterious power, the grace of God, and the kingdom of God fall on us today and change things we can never change through the power of will. Change things we can never change through the power of modifying our thoughts. Change things we can never change by the stimulus of emotions. Father, let's lean into God who has all the answers, all the answers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just hear the, the, the words of the Lord responding to, this, to these words and this prayer that we're saying that we pour out our hearts to say that we love you. And I, I just hear in such a clarity the Father repeating the very words back to us. And he's saying, I pour out my heart to say that I love you. He says, I pour out my heart to say that I need you. And I pour out my heart to say that you are wonderful, that you are beautiful. And I need you and I want you. And I love you. 
and receive that love. I have received your prayer. I've received your words. I've received your heart. And I respond in kind to my bride. I say, I love you. I need you. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. So if you go to the bank and you just have a small transaction, you go to the automatic teller up front, there's no person. There's no, there's no personal interaction. You put your card in, you do your business, you leave. But if you've got something that's a, a more important transaction, you've got to go further in. And the greater the transaction that has to be done, the further in you go until you can you know, be right at the back in the, the president's office if you're doing a big deal. And I feel like we've got these things in our hearts that are so important to us. And in some ways, we've been even disappointed that God hasn't answered it. But we've been trying to do business on big things at the automatic teller. And this sound right now is the invitation to, I want to do business with you on the things that matter, but you've got to come further in. You've got to open your heart. You've got to take a risk. You've got to come further in. So if you feel the undertow of this, respond. He's inviting you in to the deeper transactions of your heart and his heart that won't happen at the automatic teller. So come closer. Come closer. And so even in this moment, Holy Spirit, where we're feeling vulnerable and raw, where we're feeling the things that matter on our hearts, and we know that there's things that matter on yours, but we're afraid to come closer. We're afraid of what it looks like or what it sounds like or what it might cost. We're afraid. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get closer. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Help us to bear our hearts. Help us to release the deepest parts of us. Help us to draw near to you. We want to do business on the things that matter. The souls of the lost and the deep troubles. We want to do business with these things. I believe the Spirit of God is touching deep places inside of us. And I know that there are people in the church who have felt excluded, who felt left out, who felt like they couldn't connect even though they did everything they were told were necessary. You feel like you're on the outside. You feel unrighteously excluded. And I know that there are certain religious systems. Keep it up, guys. Keep it up. There are certain religious systems that perpetuate that kind of exclusion. But I'm going to share in a few minutes that in the kingdom of God, there's something similar, but it's not unrighteous. But it does allow God to put his finger on the difference between premature and superficial transformation and actual transformation. Just right now, wherever you are, say, God, I believe that you are righteous. I believe that promotion comes from above. So therefore, I will not fault any man or any system for holding me back. 
God, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would release seekers of God in this hour. Hungry patriots given to the kingdom of heaven. God, we want to leave no stone unturned as we lean and press, come after you. Thank you, Lord. So this morning, in just a couple minutes here, I'm going to be sharing a message. And I'm standing here amazed, as I've told nobody what's on my heart to share. And some of the exact phrases, some of the things I've been thinking of already written down are being repeated here on the stage in prayers. It's God's Spirit is hovering over His people. He said like a mighty, like a a mother hen hovering over Jerusalem. That's how God hovers. He's desirous to see these eggs hatch, germinate, grow, come to fullness. So Father, we say, Lord, give us that heavenly atmosphere as we turn our hearts fully to you to produce a generation of believers like none other. Oh, God. Thank you, Father. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Well, thanks, worship team. Bless you guys. Can you, you want to thank them? You guys in the room, you, you matter. Yeah, amen. They do an amazing job, eh? So if you're online and you weren't sure where we're coming from, you now you know we're from Canada, eh? Yeah. Glory to God. Glory to God. As, as per usual, I was, I was trying to find how do, I, how do I put in a title what's on my heart without sounding cliché. Without sounding like I'm saying something I said last week, I'm trying to mask the fact, mask, <laughs> I'm trying to mask the fact that I'm saying the same thing I said a few weeks ago. In fact, I said it a few months ago. In fact, I said it last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Because I, there are certain patterns in the scripture that when it comes to bringing us from where we were to where he intends us to be. There are explicit patterns. There, is, there are very clear, you know, plateaus that we come to that we, where we can share experiences in common and outcomes that are in common to one another. And so uh, the different apostles, as you read through the scriptures, they use different language and uh, Man, I would love to talk to you about different language. I was reading in Hebrews this week, and, and just the, the Hebrew writer, I just realized, man, the language is so distinct. I just am convinced it's not Paul. Don't send any letters arguing that fact. doesn't matter. But, but the different apostles, the different prophetic voices, they're saying the same thing, but with different imagery, with different language, but it's all about... Us diminishing and him increasing. 
And so uh, we are invited to get more, right? We are invited by God to come into a fullness. There is so much left undiscovered by us that God has appointed for us. And we are often come to points in our life where God requires a shift, where God requires a transition of sorts from us, but we don't know how to do that. And, uh, and there's some things that get in the way of that. So I'm going to try... I'm going to try and uh, cover a few of those things. But I first want to touch on some of the language that was used this morning. And so I I wrote down, um, the last thing I heard was from Gaylene on the stage. She said, he turns away those who are already satisfied in themselves. Now, (laughs) turn to Revelations chapter 3. Because uh, I'm going to read a passage, and you're going to see uh, a little similarity between some of these things. And uh, so let me read this so that we get, at, get this out of the way. I'm going to try and come back to it. But it says this, and to the angel. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with this, Jesus is appearing to the Apostle John. He's appearing to the Apostle John, and he's telling him about things past, about things present, and about things to come, but he's specifically addressing the seven churches of Asia. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to the unsaved, because he's, what is he doing? He's, his, yeah, isn't God not trying to reach, you know, the whole world? Of course he is, but he's doing that through his people. And, and so the key, you know, the key, you may want to fix all the cars in the world, but if your mechanics that you've trained up to do that work aren't doing the job properly, where do you start? Do you go and rebuke the cars or do you rebuke the mechanics? <laughs> right? If all the paint jobs in the world, you want your job, your purpose is to fix all the paint jobs in the world around the world do you rebuke the walls and the cars and the things that carry the paint or you do you rebuke the painters we are the light of this world and so when jesus comes to the seven churches saying listen yes the world is such and such but you are the problem and we hate that for reasons i can't address today because that's not the theme of my message but so here he is in Revelations, and he speaks something very quite, quite specific to each church. There's some, there's some crossover, but, but he gets to this church, and this is what he says. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen. These things say the Amen. The faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. What does it say? He turns away those 
who are already satisfied in themselves. Is this not a description of those kinds of people? Another phrase that was shared is, I don't know how to empty myself. I don't know how to empty myself. See, this is the problem is, I don't know how to not be satisfied. How do I be hungry when I'm not? Pretend hunger is an awful thing. It's a, it, 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 it'll cause you to go to your grandma's house full of food and she will put plates and plates and because you must be hungry in this environment, you have to eat. Right? But the reality is we have no capacity to take in if we are already full. And this is the problem. Oh. We have no capacity to take in if we are already full. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Father, today that you would break through all of the mindsets, all, even right now, how that strikes people with confusion who are listening or watching online or here in this room. I say in the name of Jesus, break out of that limited mind that cannot accept revelation. Father, in Jesus' name. You know, I, I use this, I use this uh, testimony of somebody we know. And I don't use it because I'm exclusively isolating them as a culprit, as somebody who is, you know, I'm not saying bad you, but this phrase represents so many of us. It represents me. It represents you. It represents us less at certain times and more at other times. But this was the scenario that happened years ago when I first, the first time I came to this church, and I was calling uh, on this church to pull into more, lean into more. You know, it's amazing how my messages change over the years. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I, was, I felt to amplify the cost, you know, that, and I won't go into the whole message, but this person said they were sitting in the room and they were thinking this, and this is what they're thinking. I'm a good Christian. How bad could it be? And that first thing, that I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian. Is that the words that echo around in your head when I start to talk about these kinds of things? I'm a good Christian. Does a litany of acts and devotions, does the fact that you read your Bible, like what, what is the list that suddenly jumps to the forefront as your defense that that does not qualify in your life or define you in any way. I'm a good Christian. What is it that, what banner waves in your heart to repel this thing? <laughs> right? Well, that banner needs to come down. And that's basically what Jesus is saying to these Christians. Saying, man, you don't understand the journey. This is really what he's saying. You do not understand the journey. 
And in a second, I'm going to give you an imagery of mountains. I'm going to give you an imagery of hot and cold. And hopefully it's going to show you something. But we just don't have an appreciation for the kind of journey we've embarked on. And we're like the kids. They're going on a road trip, you know, and it's 10, 12 hours, two days, three days, four days, five days. And they get in the vehicle and they have no comprehension of the length of this journey. And, of course, it starts 15 minutes out. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Anybody feel that like that uh, represents them? He will satisfy the empty. Father. So let me read on so we, we know the entire the entire promise. It is a promise. But the condition, in effect, points out what's missing. It's not a threat. It's just a reality. He says, here's here's your problem. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Oh, again, we don't understand the the quantum leaps that are available in knowledge because we believe God is just a little higher than us. We, We don't really see the disparity between us and God. We don't really see. This is the reason why he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is the commandment because there's always something undiscovered. And theoretically we know that, but not enough to propel us into deep hunger. Right? Because, I mean, nobody would say, nobody would say, well, I know pretty much everything God knows. You know, you're not going to say that. But... But what, then what is it that creates self-satisfaction? Because there is a measurement that you had in your heart that you've reached. And God is trying to say that measurement is useless. That measurement is unsatisfactory to me. That measurement is just too low. You've made me too small in your eyes. You've made me too small in your eyes. And what you need is a revelation of me in order to see what it is you're missing. You know, as a young believer, I'm so thankful. I got to tell you, I'm so thankful because things happened in my life that I simply didn't deserve. When I think about it now, back then I was so entitled. I just thought, you know, well, well, entitled and ignorant that this didn't happen to everybody. I mean, but God gave me these colossal experiences that nobody else around me was happening. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, why not? But it's not really important. But the point is, this is what God did. I had come into the church. I had become born again. I began to worship. I began to prophesy. I began to, to speak in tongues. I began to find realms of intercession. I went out and evangelized. I, I was reading the scriptures, and mysteries of God were opening up, and I'd share them with roommates, and they were 
would be like, where's this coming from? I mean, I mean, I was getting all kinds of affirmation from every direction. How long do you think before I thought I am rich? I am rich in truth. I mean, I mean, it's like, where do you go from here? I'm thinking. Where do you go from here? I mean, everybody's impressed by my Christianity, and God's like, Hey, you, you didn't do any of this. This is not your doing. This is me. And B, it's so superficial. It is so superficial in your life. But you have no idea because you have no depth perception. No depth perception at all. Not only do you not have one eye, which, you know, one, when you have one eye, you lose depth perception because you've lost a certain kind of ability to have focal points. But you've lost both eyes. You never could see well to start with. You are completely blind, and you're just barely seeing a little bit of light. <sighs> because that's the nature of what it means to be lost and then found. If you've lived your whole life in darkness and you begin to see your first sunrise, at what point is it full for you? At what point is it complete? You've never seen a sunrise before. Well, you are mesmerized at this new thing. Just just a glow of orange on a horizon, suddenly a few shapes. Like, this is amazing. Well, what's next? There is nothing next. In your mind, what, what do you do? No, this is the outermost limit of your experience. You've never seen a sunrise, so there's nothing after this. So when somebody says, what do you think it's going to look like next? What do you mean? It's impossible to go where you've never been until you're introduced by revelation, something you've never seen. Impossible. And this is, this is part of the emptying. You cannot do this. You can't. There are impo- God is, it's defined by James, he who dwells in un- unapproachable light. You think, well, that's for the unsaved people. No. Unapproachable light. He's unapproachable by anything and everything. The seraphim can't get any closer. The cherubim can't get any closer. The archangels can't get any closer. The martyrs under the throne can't get any closer. The, 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 the hosts, the angels. I mean, no one can get any closer. Everything is done by grace and permission. And so we are... We are moving in, Lord, how do I qualify for proximity that's beyond what I have right now? And part of the prescription is, well, not this. Not this self-satisfied superiority where, where you're always, look, look at me. That's what we do in our Christianity. Look at me. Right? It's always, I'm at the uppermost. Father, help us. So, I, I, I might have been going somewhere and missed it, but, uh, you know. 
So I'll just go back to a couple of things I jotted down here. But there's so many in these scriptures, so many things that we can camp on. But let me focus on this, this idea of being lukewarm. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then... Because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's interesting there that he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot. And then he changes the language slightly. He says, you match your works. You are neither cold or hot. I know your works, that they are neither cold or hot. Then he says, you are neither cold or hot. You are lukewarm. That's interesting because it tells us something about spiritual systems that I'm going to try and lay out in the next few minutes because if we're going to ascend into our role of the, as the sons of God, if we are going to be, if this, this enterprise called the kingdom of God is going to be kingdom and sons, you know how, you know, Sanford and sons, you know, Jesperson and sons and nephews. Uh, if we're going to do this, we, we need to understand the business. We need to understand the values. We need to understand the objectives. We need to understand the rules by which this system functions. And so, and so we have this, uh, this, this calling to move into a kind of transformation. I call it this. I call it the principle of conformity. That the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness exist by a system of conformity. And it's not conformity in behavior, it's conformity in nature. But what happens, though, is your nature is the default. So what happens is is, uh, when nobody's looking, you do what you would do by nature. When you feel like people are looking, then you modify what you do to try to meet the expectation of people around you, but as soon as you are invisible, not visible, not being seen, you go back to default. You go back to who you really are. And this is the problem. We learn to be one thing in front of people and another thing in private, and we think who we are in front of people is who we are, and God says, no, who you are in the, in the privacy of your heart, who you are in the secrecy of your imagination, who you are in, in what you love, what you truly love, that's who you are. And you can temporarily suspend who you are to put on a show. Confession. <laughs> We've all done it. We've all done it. Come on. Don't don't blame me. Don't point your finger at me. Start calling out names. But my wife says I've done that more than most. Now we just had this conversation the other day. She said she said we were talking about our dating time and after we got married and and she said, "Yeah, but you are not what I married." <laughs> uh, she wasn't accusing me. She was putting her finger on this thing that You know, even Solomon was, you know, he thought the way of a young man with a maiden, right? You know, he's just, this is a mystery. This this is 
This is an amazing kind of thing. I'm, 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 and I watch that. I watch young, young men who are one way. All of a sudden, they, they meet a girl. You know, we could, you know, it's, it's a couple of cute girls come in the church, and some of our single guys suddenly. Anyway, and vice versa. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I we we are de- we are designed to put our best foot forward. And on some level, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you believe your best foot forward is your only foot, you've got a problem. <laughs> there's deception there. You're lying to yourself. And I'm not going to go into all of, all of the things that empower our best foot forward. But we are in a 21-day fast right now. One of the things that God is wanting to do is to show you who you really are. It's to push past uh, the motivations, everything, and show you who you really are. And this is what God did to me. That's what I was going to tell you earlier. This is what God did to me in my, in my first year. I, I was doing all these things. I mean, I was fasting. I was praying. I was prophesying. I was giving people a level of inhumane attention and care. You know, that, you know I, I, I was... But I thought, well, this, this is just me. This is just God's transformative work. But I didn't know how much of this was fueled by, I want people to like me. How much is this was fueled by, I see a hierarchy and I'm climbing that ladder, baby, move over, because I'm driven. You see, this is the nature, that chameleon flesh part of us, that when we find a system that seems to have rewards for conformity, then we will do whatever we can to morph into that thing so as to present conformity. But only God knows, and only the system... And here's the thing that's the system of the kingdom of heaven excludes pretentious people and only opens the door for actual conformity. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light operate by this. Let me read a I, I was I was meditating on these things this morning. So we have this principle of conformity, and I want to read this. The principle of conformity operates within any system or hierarchy. It is an organic means of promotion and demotion. It filters out those whose nature does not match the criteria for ascension. It works on the basis of a spiritual protocol that ignores superficial similarity. And it works on a basis of a spiritual protocol that ignores superficial conformity and it it filters out behaviors force behaviors that which is not part of essential nature here's what i want to say the two kingdoms the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness exist by promoting those whose essential nature that means whose core whose actual being is being brought into conformity to the hierarchy. 
The nature of the one at the pinnacle of the kingdom of darkness dictates where the hierarchy of go- is going. The one at the pinnacle of the kingdom of God dictates where this hierarchy is going. One is good, the other one is absolute evil. And so us being natural, we have this way of identifying these two things, but we don't see the essence of them, we see the behaviors associated with them. And so what we do to belong in one or the other, we begin to come into conformity. But we don't know that superficial conformity does not actually give you access. Superficial conformity does not give you ascension. It does not give you. So that happens in the kingdom of darkness, and we'll leave that for a second. But it doesn't happen in the kingdom of God. And this is where most of the church's frustration is. When I talk to people who are disgruntled with the church, and the church is absolutely imperfect, but that is beside the point. Because God is over the hierarchy of the kingdom of God. He might not be in charge of every move that happens within a denomination. Because, you know, men are in control of some. But let me tell you, when it comes to the true hierarchy of the kingdom of God, those who have primary access to him... That, that through their spirit, through their gifts, through their calling, through their devotion, through their understanding of righteousness, have a position and a role and a function of the kingdom of God that is higher than yours. They have that not because of denominationalism. They have that not because they're good looking, not because they sing, not by anything natural, not because they put on the right behaviors. They can only get that kind of promotion through essential nature. This is what we need to understand. Don't get blinded by who gets the title of archbishop and and senior pastor and this and that and the other thing. Those things may or may not reflect aspects of the hierarchy of the kingdom of God. But they are really immaterial when it comes to this ascension we are called to as sons. Those ones have an element of superficiality. If you dot your T or dot your I's, cross your T's, check the boxes, do what's necessary in the eyes of men, you can get ahead without changing essential nature. In the kingdom of God, you cannot. You cannot. You cannot. But the beautiful thing about this is, is that if you get a promotion in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter whether you have a title. Because if you need a title, you'll get one. But what matters most is the essential nature that gives you favor in heaven is already yours. And eventually, eventually, you'll see an equivalent response in the realm of men. That's why it says that Jesus grew in favor with God and with men. So you think, well, yeah, I've done this stuff. I went to that church. I tithed. Everybody else was lifting their hands. I lifted my hands. Everybody else was quoting scripture. I quoted scripture. Everybody else was wearing a suit. I wore a suit, and they didn't value my gifts. Maybe, but it doesn't even matter. Oh, we could hit this on so many sides. This is promotion comes from above. Promotion comes from above. You see, 
The Laodicean church got stuck in a superficial temporary religious system. They got caught where I was at some level, where I had done all of these things, done them exceptionally, done them powerfully, done them skillfully, and yet what I was presenting was further than where I was. You can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can feel fool some people all of the time, but you can never fool God. Be not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Well, you know, I gave my money. No, you didn't give money. You gave, you, you made an exchange for influence. You see, this is the beautiful thing about God. He knows. The essential nature. Well, I've been tithing for years. Have you? <laughs> now, I'm not questioning your tithe. Like, I'm not doing that. But if God is saying to you, okay, you have always looked for control, and you are using things to, and you've done this your whole life. You've leveraged deeds, you've leveraged gifts, you've leveraged compliments, and everything you do is to get something. That's what God showed me. He said, this, yeah, it looks great on the surface. All of your fasting, your praying, your dressing right, you got the right haircut, you you dance, you know. I mean, I was I was hungry. I thought, well, I'm doing all these things because I'm hungry. But in reality, I was I was performing. But I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know until I had my, my Church of Laodicea moment when God, Jesus, came to me, the builder of the church of Jesus Christ, and he said, and he, he, he came with light, with penetrating light, so that, so that I saw this this. Conformity that I thought was only skin deep. There was no essence behind it. And you know what? Yeah, it was discouraging. That must have been really encouraging. More discouraging. More than discouraging, it was life-shaking, life-altering. It gave me a, a bit of a glimpse into how removed that we are even when we think we are at the apex of Christianity. Is this a happy day? Come on. This is, every time God brings a revelation, it should be a happy day. Every time God tears down your altars, that should be a happy day. Every time God penetrates your disillusionment, that should be a happy day. You want to do that because you know what? We are coming out of complete blindness, complete obscurity. And the fact that we have a tiny sliver, one millionth of what is possible, and then we stop and we're self-satisfied, that's the reality. How can you say that? I've worked so hard at this for 40 years. Because I've seen God. I have I have been put in my place. I mean, that first time was the most dramatic because I was so convinced that this was my reality. 
that this was real. And so it was so shocking. I mean, the convergence of worlds was so shocking to me that time. After that, I, I was never shocked. Disappointed, you know, that I wasn't further than I thought I was because I'm genuinely trying to be further but not shocked anymore because I know the deceptiveness of the heart of man. I'm wondering today, how many, how many of us match these believers? Because when they say, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know, you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. I can imagine. You do not know. How much can you imagine? This exercise, you've done this before. Imagine something you've never imagined. Think of a color you've never seen. You know, one of the things you hear from people who have heavenly experiences is how outside of the realm of anything they've ever seen or felt, and that's the way they, they often start as they're trying to define it. It's like nothing I've ever seen or felt. It's colors I've never seen. It's, it's sounds I've never heard. You can't imagine things you've never seen or heard except that God would give you a glimpse of something. This is why, you know, any creator, anybody's ever created something, you didn't create anything, you saw something. You didn't make something out of nothing. You saw it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So a few years ago, I was, uh, I was teaching on the marketplace, and I haven't done a lot about that, but you know, I still would love to do some of that because he, here's what I saw. I was seeing uh, a dynamic in Christendom where... Largely, a lot of business people that I knew as Christians, people that before they got saved, uh, you know, were successful. After they got saved and they begin to conform to the kingdom of God, they begin to be honest. They begin to be integrity, you know, have more integrity in their in their work practices and everything. Their their influence and their success diminished. <laughs> it was an amazing thing. And. Uh, and then so I saw those guys, and they're, you know, a lot of them had this sort of, no, we're called to, you know, inherit the wealth of the wicked and so on and so forth. And they would lean into promises, but they would never get them. And then I saw another kind who, dis, who were a little more experienced, and they, they realized, well, they were successful, but in their business life, they were not who they were in their Christian life. So they had created a duality. So over here, yeah, that doesn't work here, they decided. And so they were successful in the mountain of, of the world, right, where the kingdom of darkness, principles of greed and, and selfishness and covetousness and backstabbing and all those things, deception, those things are done over here. It's just business. <laughs> it's not personal. It's just business. Right? So all these things are being done over here. And the guy who's trying to be, you know, have integrity and be honest and everything, he doesn't succeed. And the thing is, and I'm, I'm looking at this, and yet I see a, a believer, a kind of believer, who's successful financially, who's, and I'm thinking, okay, God, 
why are there so many here who don't seem to get any promotion in this financial world? There's a handful of them, but there's so many. And the Lord gave me a prophetic picture. I saw a mountain, and I saw a great desert, and I saw another mountain. And the Lord said to me, these ones that you're seeing here have, have been saved out of this system. And they used all of these mechanisms to succeed and to grow and to develop and obtain wealth and influence. When they got saved, I began to convict them. And so they stopped doing these things and a level of conformity began to come to their life, which diminished their authority within that system. The world is a system. And as a system, it discriminates. It filters those. It allows promotion based on essential nature. Okay, so, so if, if you're not, not only willing, not willing to do the works, but your, your nature be, is not this. So these guys here, here's the thing, is they stop doing the works that like me as, as a superficial Christian, but their essential nature hadn't changed very much. So they're there in this place. And they're waiting for God to give them authority to move up this mountain. But what he's doing is actually, I'm calling you to cross the desert. I'm calling you to a deeper life where you cross the desert and you begin to ascend this mountain. And the, the, and, and, and hierarchy, the hierarchy of this mountain will compete with the hierarchy of that mountain. The, the, the degree that you rise in this mountain, you'll have authority over the, that level in this mountain. And so, but most, most of these guys that are there are stuck. They don't want to go into the wilderness. They know they can't go into the mountain. Where do we go from here? And God is saying, the pilgrimage of the desert. I, I, need, I need to transform not just super, superficial behaviors. See, you believe what you do in public is everything. But I want to bring a level of deeper transformation. I've been at this a lot of years. And I'm still surprised that I can come into more. And it's not like I'm dancing harder. It's not like I'm singing more. My nature is changing. My wife said to me the other day, I like you more when you're praying and fasting. <laughs> Thank you, honey. <laughs> and I mean that. I, my wife speaks great things. You know, you can pretend with people you only see occasionally. This is why intimacy in our relationships is so important. Because you can't get away from the reality of who you are. Your family will tell you. Your friends, who you see for a window of time, where conformity is uh, the way you dress, particular kind of music, quilting. <laughs> right? It, the prescription for belonging in that world is so narrow, so, so easy to mimic for that short period of time that you're exposed to one another. 
Maybe that's the reason we just don't really have the intimacy that we could have. Maybe that's why we don't have the cohesion we could have, because we don't like the mirror that's in everybody is hanging at us. You know, we are mirrors for one another. We've talked about that before, but we are leaning into something. It's a transformation. So let me go back to the beginning and just highlight some of these things. Because we're in a time of prayer and fasting right now. But we're not very different from the Laodicean church. We've made modifications. And those modifications are not insignificant. It's not that they're nothing. It's just we, we tend to value them more than they're worth. I wrote an article a couple of years ago about... Uh, What's that show where people fill their houses with garbage? Hoarders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes we we just have that nature of a hoarder. We don't see there's no value in these things. You know, you can't put away... I mean, if you ever watch the show, it's it's pretty disgusting. But you think, who in their right mind would leave a, a bag of rotting groceries, three or four of them, on the counter? and not be able to throw them out. Attachments to things that literally have no value. We think, wow, I can't understand that. I can't old magazines. 12 million of them. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? It's, it's attachments assigning value to that which has little value. God is saying, I have gold. I've got real gold. I've got real treasure. God, give us eyes to see. See, this is the thing, blindness. He said, you're blind. You're miserable. Heard that before. You're blind, you're miserable, you're poor. You're naked. We don't have to stay there. What is it going to take to get out? I don't know. If I knew, I'd be doing it. If it was having milkshakes every day, I'd do it. (laughs) I'm willing to do that. Is it fasting? Yes and no. All depends on the motivation. If you're fasting to empty yourself, can can work. If you're fasting to compel God, (laughs) good luck. Good luck. Father, help us. This week we were in a meeting and we sang the song, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. It's from Isaiah. It asks the question, where is the house you will build for me? And it's God putting his finger on these, this variance in values and, and how there's some things we value that he does not value. Things that we're willing to build and invest in that he sees as worthless. And it's saying, it's saying that God, there's a cry 
in God's heart that we would begin to love what he loves, that he, we would begin to build what he builds. And so he said, where's the house you will build for me? Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. He's saying, listen, you value certain kind of building that I don't value. What is it you value right now? What kind of house are you building? Are you building reputation? Are you hoping to build a following? Are you building people? Let's sing this song. There's something in the heart of this song. It represents a deep, deep desire in God the Father as he looks at the earth, the sacrifice of his son, the way of the cross, and those who have come out of this world but not have, have not left it. We're sitting at the door of this world hoping for some kind of promotion within it. And before we sing that again, and I believe God wants to come, but He has an eternal blueprint for a structure on earth as it is in heaven that He will come and abide in, that the fullness of His presence will embody, will fill. And he's saying, where are the men and the women who don't want something, who don't want to build something that speaks well of them, but they'll build something that I can indwell, that I can inhabit? Where is the church who's longing for a glimpse at the eternal scroll, the eternal blueprint? Oh, reach out to God for this. He's going to show this to many, many in this hour.